night hugs. Are you gonna start? Just kidding. The show? That was that was a really bad starting, wasn't it? Yeah. So today is season seven, episode fourteen. Boy, get out of the way. Oh my god, no, do that in a deep voice. Boy, oh, I can't do a deep voice. <laughs> Boy, get out of the way. There you go. You will never be the god of war. Pu- puberty has never set in, Tugs. I know. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, Tugs, I, this is Tugs. Hi. Maybe, hi. This is a really bad opening. Maybe you should be doing the openings uh, from now on. Welcome to For What It's Worth. I'm Tugs Puppy Bear. <laughs> uh, co-hosting in Salt Lake is a slob named Ruchi Lexico. I am not a slob. There you go. I'm just everywhere. Yeah. Anything. With it, with an excellent voice. And then we have our lovely audio guy, which is Voss. He's in the sound booth. He's touching uh, himself. He just, he just tapped his mic. What have you been up to, Rue? Ah, well, you know what? I have been up to a lot of different things. Yay. So um, I went to Lagoon recently. And what? Lagoon sucks. Lagoon isn't not that bad. Come on. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, McDonald's isn't that bad. I could go over to Burger Bar. You just think that it sucks because you can't ride any of the rides because you're too tall. It's a crappy amusement park. It has some good coasters that need to get moved. But come on, it's it's not even Six Flags good. I mean, they have been raising their prices a lot to where it's almost like the same price as if it was like a day to go in for Disney. How much? It's oh, so it's one hundred and twenty dollars now. Oh no, it's not one hundred and twenty. It's like seventy something. So I guess it's not that much. But but anyway, it's Lagoon. So, it sucks. <laughs> anyway, so I ended up winning a five dollar prize. Woo! Thank you, Tugs. <laughs> I'm here for you. So I ended up going to the Guess Your Age booth. And of course, that's like the best thing for me. I mean, the be- the only game that I can win is because nobody really can tell how old that I am. Did they guess you were five? Yeah. No, they guessed that I was like 20 something because I didn't shave. But yeah. So did they? Anyways. Did you wait? What did you win? Oh, I just won like a like a plush animal type thing. So they had to ge- guess within like three years of my age. Did they guess your gender? And they gender? asked like various questions like, I don't know, do you remember the Alamo? You know, different things like that. Do you remember the Alamo? Oh my God. <laughs> did, they, did they have a guess your gender game? No, no, they didn't. Oh. I need a Why? womp sound. I need Why? a womp womp. Because it's just terrible. Do you think that I... <laughs> Do you think that I would have won that game? Yes. <laughs> they would have guessed the wrong gender. Is that what you're what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I also had a, a, an amazing experience at a at a party that I ended up going to. Um, but was it a hot tub during, party? Well, it was a naughty party that I was at, okay. and I was. I was out sitting in a, um, I was in a sling type thing, and people were doing some naughty stuff around me. Um, but then all of a sudden, this random individual just walks in and looks straight into my eyes and says, "Hi, I'm new here." And and I looked at him like he wasn't in any sort of like 
clothing. <laughs> well, no, he was in clothing. He was in street clothing. And I could completely tell that he wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Whoa, whoa, so whoa, whoa, that... whoa, whoa, whoa. Some dude just opened the door to wherever you were at and walked in. Were you in a business? <laughs> like, I need to understand more about the nature of the building you were in. Oh, well, we were just. Is it a house? In... Is yeah, it a... kind of like that. So okay, wait. If Anyways, I, if I drive down the street, does it look like a house? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, okay. yeah. Basically, okay. So, so who's going and guy... opening random house doors? It's weird. <laughs> well, this guy ended up hearing, you know, noises and stuff like that, and thought that, um, hey, you know, I want to jump over. I want to join this particular party too. He probably thought it was like a four twenty weed party or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he told everybody that he had thrown his ball over um, into the to the fence. He threw area. his balls over the fence. Yeah. And it, what was interesting is there was like furry porn that was going all over the walls. Like we had like a projector um, and porn was up on there. It was and, and he walked in there and he just had this surprised look on his face. And we were like. <laughs> Um, and he, he mentioned to somebody, he's like, I, I think I'm in the wrong place. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, we, we think that you are in the wrong place. So that was a bad rendition of that story, but it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and the most embarrassing moment ever. But it was I like great. being anal. Oh, no, I don't like being anal. What have you been up to, Tug? You were in a sling. You were being anal. Did someone put their hand in you? That doesn't. It doesn't pertain to the show. <laughs> it doesn't pertain to the show. But see, see, here's the thing about this is like, no one's judging you. We're just all intensely curious. Like, you know that it's going to go out and someone like Cody or someone in the chat room is going to be like, what were you doing? Like, they're going to want to know. Well, you know what? They just, they're just not going to know. But hold on though. To be fair, you did bring it up in, in, in the internet's history now. So it, ah. you can't expect privacy halfway into the well, thing. Well, maybe, maybe we're just going to have to edit that part out. No, sorry, it's uh, it's permanent. I actually can't edit that part. Uh, oh, oh, is that what it is? It's locked. Yeah. To answer your question, uh, nothing. I'm boring. I, you haven't been doing anything. Uh, the only thing, like, I've been it's it's the job hunt. So it's job hunt, uh, and then dinner, and then Splatoon, and then trying to sleep. But the thing about trying to sleep in general is that it's not working. So I'm exhausted, which is why I'm I'm kind of loopy and salty right now. Uh, I did. I did actually find a park nearby with a beautiful view of the sound, and I've gone there a couple times. Uh, husband and I had a ghetto picnic where we got. <laughs> you're gonna love this, Rue. We got uh, a crate of tacos from Taco Bell, and then went and sat in the park and ate tacos and looked at the sound because we were too lazy to make dinner. <laughs> Dude, did you get the big box. I actually got the Docos box, so it was all Doritos Locos. Tacos in there. It was all it was. It was so good. There's That's another place with a, with a beautiful beach that um, you have to go over the railroad tracks. There's a pedestrian bridge, uh, and I happened to catch a train coming by, and so I took pictures and stuff. That was actually actually pretty cool, but um, not not terrible amount. I went to Vancouver on Monday. That was fun. I got my Tim Hortons refills. Very important, you know, when you go to Canada, get your Tim Hortons. Very. I know. They're just amazing. They really are. And now they have honey croiler Timbits, 
And I love their Croilers. So now it's just like, oh, a box filled with Croiler pieces. I like this. I'm gonna... Have you had Have you had their bagged milk yet? I've never seen bagged milk there. Really? I thought they had bagged milk in Canada. That's like a Europe thing. I don't think so. I've never, I don't know. I No, I've gone grocery shopping. I've gone to a Canadian Walmart. I made it to Canadian Target. They never had bags of milk. They were cartonized. Oh, okay. In Europe, I remember seeing bags of milk. I drank out of a bag of milk once. I don't, you know, it's weird. You, <laughs> the bag of, like... <laughs> It's weird to like, because you feel like you want this bag to be warm, like when you drink from it. I remember this, and you're like, this is cold. Like, you almost want it to feel like a boob. Uh, you want to feel like you're nursing tugs, is that what you're saying? No. You know, we can make that happen. No. What? How? Are you are you lactating? What's going on here? No, no, I'm just joking. How's your tumor? Nothing? Uh, it's... Uh, nothing to report right now except my blood sugar has been going higher. Oh, stop um, with the, I, stop with all the downloading. Downloading? Oh, what do you that's, mean? That's an old meme. Oh. I've been eating too many cookies, Tugs. That's what's been going Speaking on. Speaking of cookies. Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. All right, so here is today's cookie. We have Genius is the capacity to take infinite pains in bed with a cookie. Pains or pace? It says pains. Like right? I'm hitting you with a whip? Did I say that right? I, I don't know. I don't know if your fortune made sense. Do it again. Genius is the capacity to take infinite pains in bed with a cookie. That just sounds like a good time, but I don't know if it's genius. I don't know. Uh, Anyways. Button. Learn, learn Chinese. <laughs> Sorry, Rue. And welcome back. We hope you enjoyed your potty break. Now, it's time for our reading from the Bible. No, I was kidding. <laughs> Rue's just like, what the hell? I can see Rue, guys. Like, I know that people at home don't know that Rue and I can see each other when we're recording, but he can't handle this. It's too much. Isn't it? Yes. I think that we should have this music on the whole time. No, it I would will be not succeed. The best in... STD BDSM leather episode ever. Like with granny music in the background. It would be great. But more importantly, let's get to the topic, which is what I just said. STDs, BDSM, leather, kink. Kink in general. I think this is almost a revisit, isn't it? Since Asylum's episode. Somewhat. Yeah. What is this music talks? Don't worry about Let's it. Just keep it. going. Damn it. <laughs> fine. You know, fun. Uh, I suck all the fun out of things and other things. Tell us more about, about well, sucking. Well, no. What? Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Just introduce our guest. Although I'll probably kill this whole entire thing. So here we go. We have Mr. Michael Sanders here. He's with um, Black Boots, Black Boots co-founder, uh, 2017, uh, Mr. Leather. Wait, wait, wait. Blackboard or Black Boots co-founder? Because I noticed you put it all in caps. Oh, you're right. Black Boots and Blackboard. Here, you go ahead and read okay, it. Okay, cool. So 
Um, he's Mr. Slut. Is that how you say it? Is, is that slut or is it S-L-U-T? Go ahead. Mr. Leather Slut. So actually it's Mr. Leather Slut. Oh, okay. I did. I did miss the leather. My bad. Uh, all right. He's also offending co-chair of Mast Salt Lake City, Mr. Friendly Team Utah, among many others. He's also a uh, queer activist, community organizer, and a sex BDSM educator in the kink and greater LGBTQ plus community and has developed programs for the county and state of Utah health departments. Mr. Sanders is also working with Westminster University to develop sex-positive programming for the Gender Studies program. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am just peachy. How are you? I'm waking up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm juicy. Yeah. <laughs> so. I can pour you some more juice. Make oh, it even man. more juicy. So, so what is the difference between black boots and blackboard? Because I noticed that that's one cap. They're both in caps. One's boots and one's board. Right. So um, first I have to start off by asking you, um, so what are you wearing? Lounge pants. I wasn't kidding. I actually really am wearing lounge pants. Are you wearing? Yeah. 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 What kind of lounge pants? I need an image in my head. They're just tartan fleece lounge pants and a maroon shirt. That's hot. Okay. So <laughs> so Black Boots uh, is, an, is an organization I founded here in Utah. Uh, I moved here about 10 years ago and uh, became incredibly bored with the lack of a leather men's leather scene and founded Black Boots so that I could satiate my own hunger. And uh, we are a men's group. We do parties and bar nights and all sorts of debauchery. Um, and uh, through Black Boots, I developed the Blackboard program, which is our educational offering. And we do classes about different BDSM and sex positive topics for men. So, so how long? Go ahead. I was going to ask. So what do, what do you define as sex positive? Like it's a phrase you hear tossed around a lot. And I think it's important to get a definition behind it. So sex positivity is the concept that all consensual sex and consensual is the key is uh, fundamentally um, not only a enjoyable but uh, is a fundamental right for people to have the ability to have um, sexual freedom without the shame exactly okay so how long have you been working in the lgbtq scene oh my goodness so um so i'm 55 years old and uh i grew up in center city philadelphia in the heart of the gayborhood um so i grew up in a very gay East Coast, inner city neighborhood. So I've had gay culture and gay people and gay life around me since basically I um, emerged from my mother's vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in a high-rise building in, in Center City, Philadelphia, and when you uh, went out the service entrance in the rear, which is, uh, I guess, pretty appropriate, uh, Right next door was a gay leather bar called The Post. So so that's really kind of what got you into that particular scene? Well, it's just destiny. Yeah, well, it's part of it. But it was. it's not that that got me into the scene, but that was my exposure that the scene was there. Mm. The fact that I'm a twisted, kinky motherfucker is the part <laughs> that actually got me into the scene. Yeah. So, um... Wait, wait, wait. You... I have a very important question about Philadelphia. Sorry, Rue. Yes. No, go Do ahead. Do you like the PPA? 
the of the Philadelphia. I love parking wars, and so anyone I meet from Philadelphia, oh, the that's parking. the first question. I was like, oh my god, they, is it is it awful? Okay, cool. All right, Rube. Yeah, it, it's horrible, and their uniforms are ugly too. What are you talking yeah. about? The the parking authority authority. in philadelphia is apparently notorious like they've got a reputation that precedes them and is nationally known yeah and they're super nasty in a good way no well you know depends (laughs) (laughs) so our burning question is are you a furry because this is a furry podcast so we have to ask you that question so I am not a furry, but I am a... Is there such thing as a furry chaser? Is that like a thing? Furry adjacent? Furry chaser. Like he oh. chases furries. I chase furries. Sort of like, you know, dogs chase squirrels kind of thing. Um, no, I, I guess. I guess, yeah, you're the first one. Go. Not going to be the first <laughs> furry chaser. So Officially. I, so I... I like furries a lot. I like being around furries. I like doing all sorts of fun, dirty, nasty, (laughs) awesome things with furries. So how did you find yourself in the furry community somewhat? So it's interesting. I uh, I was doing an outreach educational event for, for an LGBTQ group here in Salt Lake City. And there were a couple of furries in the audience. And uh, I talked about not only Black Boots and the educational work that we do, but I talked about our clubhouse, which I'll talk to you more about later, and the awesome parties and stuff that we throw and the educational programs. And two of these um, cute furry boys came up to me and said, hi, we're furries, and you know, we think it's awesome that you have a place, and we wish we had a place. And I said, well, um, I'd like to make that happen, and uh, that is that is how uh, gay men's leather and furries intersected, crashed, <laughs> exploded. Uh, you're making me blush because you just called me cute. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's how I actually um, met Mr. Mr. Michael. Was I actually went to one of his um, um, one of his seminars and. Um, got to introduce got introduced to him um, by that and so um, and and I just you know started asking him questions and things kind of moved forward a little bit more so so did but, he did he pull out a chart from behind the bleachers and go well you see there comes a time in life where hair will start growing in places on your body yes totally you know he 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 pointed out like you're hairless now Rue but soon <laughs> you will grow that hair. And then I I touched him in all the inappropriate places to explain to him where it was inappropriate to touch people. Mm, and then I had to show my my priest where he touched me. So. Mm-hmm. And then the priest touched him too. Yes, definitely. It was awesome. it was a great orgy. I'm I'm gonna enjoy this ride. This is gonna be a fun <laughs> ride. I hope everyone at home is buckled in. You should not be uh, listening to this while you're driving a car. I am like bright red. <laughs> he actually is. So, uh, yeah, and you're you're looking at me. Yep. So, um, what was your last convention that you went to? The last convention I went to, um, that would be Sin in the City in Las Vegas. Um, so, Sin so in, what do they do there? So, Sin in the City is a pansexual uh, BDSM convention. 
um, held annually in Las Vegas. And um, there are classes all day and all sorts of different uh, themed parties and events. And uh, this year I ran the men's parties. Um, I call them the, uh, the manhole. <laughs> and uh, the I took a the manhole, yes. So I took a big um, suite and I brought a bunch of uh, my dungeon furniture from Salt Lake City down to Las Vegas and, and set up a, a men's play space. Nice. What what local conventions do they have here for um, as far as the LGBTQ community? Hmm. So I so there is a BDSM convention called uh, Rebellion or Rocky Mountain Rebellion. That's that's an annual thing that happens, and it's similar to Sin in the City, where there's educational pieces and party pieces and all sorts of fun play stuff, and um, that's annually here in Salt Lake City um, at a downtown hotel in August. It's uh, mid-August this year. You also participate a lot in the Pride Parade, is that correct? Yeah, so um, so I organize the Utah Leather Pride contingent of the Pride Parade and have for uh, the past five years. And uh, we organize um, the bulk of the different groups that identify as either leather or kinky or BDSM or uh, sort of uh, radical sex community groups and we're one of the biggest segments of the parade. Um, last year uh, the title holder competition for Mr. Leather Slut um, was created and I won that competition uh, and uh, led the parade along with uh, uh, the I'm sorry I'm, it's the puppy title that that happens at um, rebellion. It is the Rocky Mountain. I don't know. Puppy oyster master puppy, and it feeds into the um, international puppy and handler um, competition, which is at a convention called Beyond Vanilla in Texas. So, do you get a lot of pushback in being in Utah and doing this kind of thing? So, um, not as much as you might think. Although, uh, so. Um, I've been pretty active within not only the, the queer um, leather community, but with the LGBTQ community at large. Um, uh, since I've moved here to Utah, I've, I co-founded the Gay Chamber of Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce here for Utah. Uh, I was co-chair for SAGE, which is Service and Advocacy for Gay Elders, and that was a program for the Pride Center. So I'm pretty connected with um, LGBTQ advocacy and the Pride Center and and all that stuff. Um, so <clears throat> about three years ago, uh, one of the um, uh, folks that work at the Pride Center um, approached me and said, hey, how would you like to do sort of a leather section at the Utah Pride Festival? I'd love that. So we put together a, uh, a proposal and it was quite good and uh, it was accepted by the steering committee for the Pride Festival, and we moved forward, and it really was great. It was you know, there were going to be sort of some fun, um, sort of naughty, but you know, keeping within Utah laws, naughty sort of things happening, and uh, all the different community groups sort of tabling, and uh, you know, some entertainment and educational pieces. Um, so a, a couple of very uptight older gay men decided 
that it just wasn't proper to have that sort of thing <laughs> at a pride festival, you know, because they all have their, you know, white picket fences and their kids now, and everyone is just so uh, heteronormative. Um, and they put the kibosh, well, they tried to k- put the kibosh on the, um, this uh, sort of kink realm section of um, the pride festival. And uh, the steering committee came back to me and said, oh, you know, you're getting some pushback and we're going to have to sort of tone it down and do. And I said, you know what, we can't tone down who our authentic selves are. So why don't we just not do it? And they said, well, well, let's try again next year. And I said, no, thank you. Um, I will do this myself someday. I will start my own Utah Leather Pride Festival. And this year, that has come to fruition, and May 20th here in Salt Lake City, Utah, is the first annual Utah Leather Pride Festival. Woo! Yay! Wow. Yay! Yeah. So, and again, this allows us the uh, autonomy and um, just the, um, the ability to be our authentic selves and to present um, a Leather Pride Festival that is actually um, real and not just some sort of watered-down version, again, within Utah law. You know, we can't be like the Folsom Street Fair where you can't have nudity and all the, you know, fun play stuff in the street. Mm -hmm. But we can certainly have all the organizations that uh, represent um, that you can do these things in private so people can sort of find their place. Uh, We have vendors coming in from all over the country, and it's going to be awesome. And then, again, I will step down as Mr. Leather Slut, There'll be a new uh, title holder competition, and we've added. Oh, it's not we because I'm not the producer of the competition, so there was no nepotism for me winning. <laughs> but uh, the producers have added a Ms. Leather Slut this year too, so there'll be both the male and female title. And the the uh, men's title feeds into IML, which is International Mister Le- Leather in Chicago, which I will be going to this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and Ms. feeds into IMSL, which is in San Jose. So we talked about this a little bit, but what what do you feel like has really drawn you to leather itself? Is it the feel of it? What's? I think it's a combination of the um, the boys, the boots, the belts, the boots, the bikes, and the blowjobs. Yeah, I think it's like <laughs> they're like sort of the main Lots things. Of yeah, um, and. Uh, I, to me, leather is not something I wear. Leather is who I am. And probably a lot like being a furry. Furry is not your um, your fursuit. Mm-hmm. It's who you are. Um, and although you're, um, you're most identified, if you wear a fursuit, they'll say, oh, that's a furry. But I know many furries that don't have fursuits, or they have bits and pieces of them. So it's really not about what you wear, it's about who you are and how you identify and how you connect to others. Um, And there's just a sense of um, brotherhood and gay history in the leather community that's always been very appealing to me. So we kind of, you already kind of answered this question, but one of the questions that we're gonna ask you is what is your perspective of the furry fandom? What is my perspective of the furry fandom? So So I know my personal story and my personal perspective so I really enjoy, particularly if I don't know about the furry community outside of Utah or even outside of Salt Lake City, but the furries and the furry community that I know here in Salt Lake City are 
so awesome. I just love being around all you guys. Um, I, uh, I absolutely love um, the parties that we sort of do together at our clubhouse. In fact, you know, don't tell anybody, <laughs> but I actually have more fun at the furries play parties than I do at the black boots parties. What? Don't tell anybody. I said, shh. Okay, shh. I won't say anything. <laughs> and and part of that is that um, um, the, the furry community here in um, Salt Lake City, when they come to a party, they are out to have a good time they're out to try new things. They're out to have fun. They're not afraid to laugh and just have just have a great time and explore all sorts of uh, things. So then, do you do you think then that leather is the word leather isn't what I'm thinking of? Because the thing is, so I've never identified as a leather person because I always have identified leather as like the really cool feeling belt my mom had for her jacket or a nice thing on a car, like the material object that is leather, right? And mm -hmm. as, as an aside to my aside, I always wonder if people who are into leather go into like leather furniture stores and go, hmm. But um, do you think it's more of an interchangeable term then with just with kink? Like I, I'm part of a kink community. So I, I, so I do to a certain degree. Um, I think that um, we're part of the same um, tribe or the same big family, but someone that's kinky is not necessarily leather. And sometimes someone that's leather is not necessarily kinky. I know a lot of guys that get into the gear and all the things, but you know, when, when it comes right down to um, the way they play or the way they have sex, um, they don't really um, identify or function within the boundaries of BDSM or, or kink. They're, as, as we say, more vanilla when it comes to sex. Huh. So, in other words, there's really no real, true way to be leather. Um, there's this, uh, you know, this thing that people talk about called the old guard. Oh, that's the old guard way. You know, they have certain rules. You have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And you have to do things a certain way and oh you can't wear this unless you follow these rules or this or that and uh, I've uh, you know over 40 years identifying as someone that's in the leather the, the gay leather community I've never really subscribed to those rules of the old the oldie guardie I'm more of an avant-garde where I, I believe that um, you express your own authentic self and and live your own authentic life and and your sexuality um, in the way that um, brings you joy, not the way that makes other people particularly happy. Uh, do you know of any history of the, the leather community? Like, where did it start? So I actually teach a leather history class. Awesome. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the elevator version of leather history. So um, the, the leather men's, gay men's leather community as we see and know it today um, was born um, during and shortly thereafter um, World War II. So uh, imagine the time, the, you know, the late 30s, early 40s, um, long before the internet and long before you know, modern society. Um, 
the war happened and uh, there was a draft and uh, pretty much every young man, you know, 18 to early 20, you know, they, they were all called to join the military. So they came from everywhere. They came from big cities. They came from small towns and villages and farms and everywhere across the nation. Statistically, 10% of the population of humans are identify or act as homosexual. So that means that 10% of these young men drafted into the service were gay. At that time, there was, there, it's not even that there wasn't acceptance of being homosexual or, or, or gay, it was actually illegal. And not only were there no civil rights um, for people that uh, were attracted to same sex, but uh, it was uh, highly, highly looked down upon, stigmatized, uh, and the way to get thrown out of the military. So you have all these men, and what happens when you get a bunch of men together um, without women, and you're gay? You're going to have sex with other men. When you're caught, you will be given a discharge from the military. Not only were you given, given, not only were these men given given a discharge, but they were given a special discharge, which was called uh, a blue note. And these were blue discharges, dishonorable discharges that were blue. Um, and at the time, uh, every you know day in the in the daily papers and every little town, uh, they print the names of the people that were you know the casualties of war, who was promoted, who was what, and then they'd also talk about the discharges, both honorable and dishonorable. So imagine you're from East Bumfuck, Kansas, mm -hmm. and you've been dishonorably discharged on a blue ticket from the service. You can't go back to your little town. So they would dump these men off in the port cities, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, um, the places that not only um, uh, had uh, you know, the drop-offs for the military, but had their own uh, sort of underground gay communities happening already. And there's been, there have been gay bars in New York since the mid-1800s. Um, when these men started to uh, sort of assimilate into the big cities and they sort of uh, stuck together, they had these traditions of military and hierarchy and rank, number one. Um, there was also an underlying sort of motorcycle culture that was happening. And when you ride motorcycles, you need leather gear. Um, so this sort of intersection of, uh, you know, these young gay men coming in from all over and settling in these big cities and motorcycles and leather gear um, started these little enclaves of um, gay leather men and gay leather motorcycle clubs. And uh, they maintain their sort of hierarchy of rank from the military. Um, a few years later, um, there was a, a film that was released um, called The Wild Ones uh, with Marlon Brando. And the, um, the word is that the producer and director of that film were secretly gay in Hollywood and thought Leatherman were hot. <laughs> so they kind of did all the costuming and Marlon Brando's costume um, to sort of reflect that um, 
sort of sensibility of what was happening with gay leathermen, particularly on the West Coast. And that's when that sort of black, the, sort of the cap and, and biker jacket and boots and the sort of way uh, gay leathermen look today, that's where that look was born. And um, Marlon Brando at the time was not like the fat old slob from Apocalypse Now. He was like this fucking hot you know, <laughs> young man. And uh, that look sort of really um, took off. And gay men began to emulate that, gay leathermen. And that's sort of the base or how um, gay men's leather culture developed in those port cities and how the look developed. And uh, over the years, there's been sort of changes in, in, in the garb and in the pump and circumstance. But uh, when you go back into the roots of how our community was founded, that's, that's, that's how it happened. That was a long elevator ride. Huh. Yeah, no, you know what? It it was perfect. So, do you have any? Go ahead. I was going to actually pivot over to Ichi's email because I think it ties into the next point we have, which is, uh, "Hello, cast, crew, and guest, long-time listener, first-time caller, caller." Uh, a topic I thought you'd never get to. Uh, I think referring to this, me and my partner have an active relationship in the furry and BDSM community here in our little tiny backwoods state. Before we met, I never assumed there was such a large and active BDSM community. Kind of funny for the Bible Belt if you think about it. Any whore, yes. Here's my question. What are some of the most interesting correlations you've found in the BDSM and furry communities? Thank you for your time. Hugs and kisses from Mr. Ippy Ichi. So I think he's asking specifically interesting correlations between BDSM and the furry community. Is that correct, Tux? Yep. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if I can speak to for furries, but I can certainly speak to to someone that speak as someone that is um, into the dynamics of BDSM um, and that likes to play with fur, with furries. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure where I should go with this. Should go I ahead. tell a dirty story? Yeah, you can tell a dirty story. Go ahead. Whatever, whatever you would like. What is the what is to you the correlations between like, furry and BDSM? The most top, like let's say the top three surprising connections that you would never have thought that they had in common. Um, well, um, so I, so I didn't understand um, how many furries love bondage. I mean, it's kind of a thing, um, you know when just at this last party that I attended, it was a furry party at our clubhouse and this dragon came over to me and uh, started nuzzling up against my head and my neck and I was getting really turned on. It was kind of hot. And uh, I asked him if he wanted to play. Hey, Mr. Dragon, would you like to play with me? And he shook his head up and down. What would you like to do with me, Mr. Dragon? And he put his wrists together and I immediately, without words, knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted to be restrained. Mm. <laughs> right this way, Mr. Dragon. And uh, so I took Mr. Dragon and I restrained his um, wrists to a series of chains that were up along the top edge of uh, the wall in our um, clubhouse bar, which we call the seagull. You know, we don't have an eagle here. So we have a seagull at our clubhouse, and uh, <laughs> and that's our 
our little gay leather bar and uh, proceeded to, you know, uh, restrain the dragon to the wall and, and, and uh, you know, do all the things. And uh, long story short, I got to milk Mr. Dragon and then the bartender um, made a delicious cocktail for me. Oh, no. With dragon's milk as one of the ingredients. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Rue is so squirmy right now. I love it. <laughs> Rue's like, yeah. oh, I want that. I'm so red. Mm, dragon's milk cocktail. Oh, mm. my gosh. This is awesome. So this is, since Rue's blushing, the next email ties to the first email in a way. He says, it's from Cody. Dear cast of Fulwa, Mr. Sanders, what have you been teaching poor innocent Rue? Ah, what have you been teaching you? I don't know. What do you think? What, so... I think that's a question for, for me for Rue. Ah. So what are some of the things that you think that you feel that I have taught you? I think that um, something that you've taught me is the whole aspect that it's um, in, in the, I feel like I'm going to go through like a soliloquy or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So um, in this community here, I feel like that it's very anti-sex. Like you have to be extremely like quiet about it. You have, and you still have to, but it's, it's like, I, I guess I would have to say that I'm more open towards my sexuality and knowing that it's, it's okay versus before where it was like, oh my gosh, I'm into all this like weird stuff and I don't know, you know, I don't have an outlet. So it kind of helped to give a more permanent outlet. I mean, I had things that were going on um, beforehand, um, but they were kind of, and they're still behind closed doors, but um, I don't know how to explain it. Does does that make any sense? No, but that's okay. <laughs> I think it's so, time for break, though. Oh, okay. Well, well wait, wait. So, so I, I wonder if it's, if the... The thing learned is that um, it's okay to live your life authentically and be your own um, sexual, ha live your own sexual identity mm -hmm. um, authentically, um, and that again, all consensual sexual activities are fundamentally good. Yes, exactly. Yes. And with that, we're going to go on break. Oh, I don't have the soundboard on, so boom. Oh, boom. Hailing frequencies open. Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, May 16th, here are your space headlines. We had a one-week delay in release to accommodate the folks who went to BLFC so they wouldn't miss seeing the episode go live. So let's try for another lightning round. Here we go. ULA has recently rolled out the monstrous Delta IV Heavy in preparation for the Parker Solar Probe launch coming up on June 31st. The booster has been fully assembled and a number of dress rehearsals have been conducted to put the rocket through its usual checks. If everything goes according to plan, we should see the probe make the closest approach ever to the sun any human-made object has ever performed. India has recalled its most powerful communication satellite back to the manufacturing plant ahead of its Ariane 5 launch, fearing that it might have the same issue that caused a previous satellite to fail. The GSAT-6A lost communication with ground controllers just a few days after launch back on March 29th, and engineers have determined that the likely reason was that the power system had failed. 
Rather than risk the issue cropping up while on orbit, they've decided to send the spacecraft back to be examined so that the issue can be fixed if it exists. That most secretive of braggadocious rocket companies, Blue Origin, conducted a test launch of their brand new New Shepard suborbital rocket back on Sunday, April 29th. This is the second New Shepard rocket they've tested since their first one successfully conducted five flights and has since been retired. No one was on board, save for their dummy passenger, Mannequin Skywalker. This moves them one step closer to commercial flights to the edge of space. NASA has canceled a mission to send a rover to the surface of the moon. Instead, the instruments that would have been on such a vehicle are now being developed to be placed on the lunar surface by commercial landers. The Google Lunar X Prize had ended up concluding with no one claiming victory, but a lot of technology was developed in the process, and NASA hopes to make use of some of those programs to make for a less expensive exploration of the lunar surface. The rover was supposed to search for subsurface hydrogen, then drill for samples. Those samples would have been analyzed for things like helium, methane, ammonia, hydrogen sulfate, carbon monoxide, and sulfur dioxide. Here's hoping the commercial sector can pick up the slack and we can do some prospecting on the moon. Commercial rocket developer Firefly has signed a lease that would allow them to use a launch pad in Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. It'll be using SLIC, that's Space Launch Complex, 2W, the pad that once was used to launch the Delta II rocket. There's still one more Delta II mission left to fly, and that'll be September of this year. After that, the pad will be refurbished to facilitate Firefly's light class booster. They are scheduled to perform their first orbital test flight in 2019. The James Webb Telescope is in trouble again. During the acoustic test, where they shake the vehicle to simulate the stresses it'll encounter during launch, they found that certain key pieces of fastening hardware had come loose. That's not good. It was between where the spacecraft is mated to the sunshield. NASA is reviewing what repairs would be necessary, if there's anything more that needs work, and how long it'll take to fix. At least this isn't something really awful, like fastening hardware shearing or breaking. This should be a relatively simple fix, but they want to make sure they get it right and nothing comes undone. No word yet if this will push the delayed launch even further. It already saw a push from March 2019 to May 2020, earlier this year. Stay tuned for more details. One of the neat things about probes is the data they send back gets continuously analyzed, even well after end of mission, like what's happening with Cassini. Well, an even older mission, Galileo, is getting that treatment. As it orbited Jupiter back in the 1990s, it made several close passes of Europa, the smallest of the four Galilean moons, so named because they were discovered by the scientist the probe was named for, Galileo Galilei. During those close passes, it collected data, and our analysis suggests that during a few of them, the probe passed through a plume of water shot high enough to reach space. This is consistent with readings from Hubble, which just further provides strong independent evidence that Europa is as active as the Hubble images suggest. That's why you should never be afraid to go back and have a look at old data. You never know what you could prove or disprove with it. Recently, two astronauts concluded a spacewalk outside the International Space Station, where they moved a couple of ammonia cooling units around. One, dubbed Leaky, was put into long-term storage while another, named Frosty, was moved to a place along the station's power truss for diagnostic testing. There were several other maintenance, get ahead, tasks that were completed, and the whole operation was a success. China's been busy. There were three launches from their space program, a Long March 11, a Long March 3B, and a Long March 4C. The first, the Long March 11, carried five commercial Chinese satellites carrying video and imaging sensors for Earth observation. The second, the Long March 3B, put a telecommunications satellite into orbit for Hong Kong-based operator APT Satellite. 
and the third, the Long March 4C, lofted a civilian-operated, Earth-observing satellite to survey global land and water resources, air pollutants, greenhouse gases, and a number of other things related to environmental observation. China's really been stepping it up lately. SpaceX hasn't been slouching either. Near the beginning of May, a previously flown Dragon capsule returned to Earth from visiting the ISS for a second time. It splashed down in the Pacific bringing more than 3,800 pounds of cargo with it, and part of that down mass was a robot designed and built by NASA to assist astronauts on station. They've been having trouble with the legs that were supposed to grasp the handholds on the exterior of the station, and the crew couldn't repair it on orbit, so it was sent back to let the engineers on the ground try and mend it. Not long after, on May 11th, SpaceX debuted their Block 5 Falcon 9, carrying the Banga Bandu spacecraft, Bangladesh's first communications satellite. This is the final iteration in the development of the workhorse booster. This should see the promise of rapid reusability Elon has been touting for so long. All the upgrades and changes and tweaks have led to this, and I'll get into what makes that so special in a later episode. And with the success of the Block 5, SpaceX is already targeting two more launch dates for their next two missions. The first is five commercial Iridium satellites on May 22nd, and the second is another SCS communications payload on May 31st. They're working hard to ramp up their desired launch cadence and make spaceflight routine and commonplace. Finally, let's talk a little bit about Mars. NASA recently discovered a crack in the heat shield meant for the Mars 2020 rover, and they're in the process of replacing it. As of right now, it sounds like it will not affect their launch timeline at all. They caught it early enough that they were able to effect a solution quickly. Now, that crack, believed to be from an error in the manufacturing process, was initially thought to affect the InSight lander, but officials examined it and concluded that the probe was clear for launch. And that occurred in early May, shrouded in thick, heavy fog at Vandenberg Air Force Base atop an Atlas V. The launch was a complete success, and the lander is currently on its interplanetary cruise between Earth and Mars. And it's got a couple of friends tagging along. A pair of CubeSats were deployed from the upper stage shortly after InSight was released. They'll provide telemetry data back to ground crews during EDL, that's Entry, Descent, and Landing, so that they can get a steady stream of data throughout the whole process. And to jump back over to the Mars 2020 rover, NASA has announced that they're sending a helicopter with it. The tiny, four-pound drone will have some of the biggest rotors for a vehicle of its class. It needs them to cut into the thin Martian atmosphere to gain any lift. It'll fly for short hops, gather terrain data, feed it to the 2020 rover, then sit quietly while its solar panels recharge its batteries. This should help the rover drive more carefully across the difficult terrain and make its wheels last longer, something they've learned from operating Curiosity. The helicopter will need to be completely autonomous, since a 4-20 minute signal delay rules out direct piloting. Just imagine what that's going to bring to the next model after the DJI Spark. That's another major round of news completed. Stay tuned for the next episode of For What It's Worth for more. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. Oh my, you're listening to For What It's Worth. A classy show indeed. Hey, For What It's Worth listeners. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am. I'd like to take just a minute out of this lovely little potty break to tell you about a game some of you might remember. In 2015, a gay furry Japanese visual novel named Mornatsu was discontinued by the original creators, leaving a large fan base devastated with the news. Several teams tried to continue the game, but the majority of them fell through. That is until Zon Dragon stepped in with Mornatsu Revisited. 
He set out to not only finish the game, but give complete makeovers to each character from the bottom up. Along the way, he's recruited a new artist named Devilizer, an assistant writer and editor named Frostclaw, and Leslie Chu, that's me, for the music. The project is scheduled to be completed in mid-2019 and will feature new character dialogue and events, complete rebuilds of Shun and, my favorite, Konosuke's routes, bonus routes, new event artwork, and of course, a new soundtrack with tunes like the one you're hearing right now. So after the show, why not mosey on over to Zondragon's FA account for a completely free copy of the current demo? Hey, I'm sure we could convince Rue to bring some cookies for the occasion. What do you think? Welcome back. We're going to go dive right back into our lovely, lovely topic. And we're going to do that with an email. So this is from Bear, and this is what he had to say. I'd like to hear about how um, Mr. Sanders' um, generational views on AIDS versus now. The point being to let the young ones hear um, about how AIDS was first viewed, what it is, etc. And um, can he explain current ways um, and what is that stigma of HIV, undetectable, etc.? Um, what is PrEP? Um, how, uh, let's see, how does it help and what, does, what doesn't it help? Okay, that's a lot to get through, but I'm glad because it actually um, talks about some of the things that I love to talk about. So one of the main things I'd like to say and how I'd like to start this is that in 2018, one of the most, uh, so let me press this, uh, let me start this off with um, the biggest barrier to HIV prevention and the biggest barrier to the end of HIV is the stigma of HIV. And this is not just something that I am um, that is my personal opinion. This is actually um, what uh, HIV educators and professionals um, really understand to be true. It's the barrier to testing, which is the ultimate barrier to prevention. Um, in 2018, we have to be very careful because HIV is not AIDS. HIV is the virus that, if left untreated, um, could develop, could have you develop um, a, a chronic disease called AIDS. And back when I was young, in the in the 80s, when uh, before the disease even had a name, it was gay cancer or GERD or GRID. I mean, it just uh, you know, when I was an 18-year-old boy and this, and I saw my friends uh, shriveling up and dying in front of me, um, it was a very scary thing. And luckily, we don't have to live like that at this time. There have been 
um, great advances in medicine, uh, in the treatment of, of HIV, the prevention of HIV, um, that we are on the road to zero, as I like to call it, where we can actually, hopefully, um, end HIV within a generation. Um, and the way we, uh, the way people like myself, I, I'm on the state of Utah's planning commission for HIV for the state. And one of our, uh, and not only our uh, main plans of actions, but really nationally and internationally, um, the plan of action is to um, reduce the stigma of HIV so people will test. When people test positive, they are linked to care and linked to treatment and provided the tools to adhere to care so that they um, suppress the virus in their body the virus becomes the viral load in their body becomes at an undetectable level, and they are unable to transmit the virus to others. That means if you have sex with someone that is HIV positive with, uh, with an undetectable viral load because they are adhering to their task for treatment as prevention, even without a condom, they cannot pass the virus to you. Number two, if you test negative and you are uh, in a higher risk category, in other words, you have frequent sex with multiple partners, you have sex with, uh, you have anonymous sex, you're a sex worker, you are, are an intravenous uh, drug user, you're in a serodiscoordinate relationship, although, um, again, if they are on task, they won't be able to pass the virus to you, but you would qualify. Um, PrEP is re recommended. So what is PrEP? So PrEP is, so PrEP is actually um, uh, a combination of two drugs um, that are bundled together in a drug called Truvada at the moment. Um, uh, there are generics of this uh, internationally and coming soon in America. Um, so when you take Truvada once a day, um, you, uh, if you come into contact with the HIV virus, it's unable to replicate in your body. So you won't seroconvert. Serio you, you will not become HIV positive. Um, it is almost 100% effective. They say 90-something percent because they have to, but they really have been only a couple of cases um, out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that um, are using PrEP as a regimen to prevent HIV. Um, um, and when taken daily as prescribed, um, this will keep you from uh, seroconvoning, converting and becoming positive. So the combination of those three things, an increase in testing, um, uh, linkage to care and treatment for those that are positive and prevention for high-risk uh, sexually active people um, are the road to zero, which would be zero new infections for HIV. And it is possible. Um, so how, how often would you say that it would be good for somebody to get tested? Uh, really, so I think it depends on your sexual activity. So I'm a bit of a slut, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you mean I'm you, a have total a, you have fucking you, slut. you have an award for it, so just kidding. so so for myself, I believe in being tested every four to six weeks maximum, um, and uh, if you are sexually active, if you have multiple. Um, sexual play partners, if you attend sex play parties, if you have anonymous sex, um, you really want to test monthly, to six month, four to six weeks. Um, and uh, if you are not quite so sexually active, but still are a bit sexually active, um, you should test quarterly. Um, with, uh, so if you are taking PrEP, um, you actually, um, the, the, the uh, protocol is that you have your blood work drawn four times a year, every mm -hmm. quarter, and they need to make sure that you are continued HIV negative. Because if you're taking PrEP and you're HIV positive, it's not a good thing. It's, um, you will develop a resistance to that drug fighting the HIV because Truvada is part of uh, a number of drugs that they give to suppress the virus if you are HIV positive. Um, so you definitely don't want to take just Truvada if you are HIV positive. Um, they also check your liver, kidney functions, and test for STIs. And I know that you've all been saying STDs, and I would like to address that for a second. So, so in the um, medical community, and particularly in um, those that are involved with uh, prevention, STI and HIV prevention, we've shifted from using the term STD, which is a sexually transmitted disease, to STI, which is a sexually transmitted infection. And the reason is a disease is something that's more chronic, um, seems a little bit more uh, uh, sort of like this dark cloud kind of thing that is not easy to treat and uh, get rid of. Where an infection is actually what gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis are. They are they are bacterial infections that are treated with antibiotics. And uh, yes, prep does not prevent those. Yes, if you are super slutty and um, you probably will contract an STI at some point, if not multiple times. Um, but the main thing is you won't see convert to HIV and all of the other things are treatable, curable, with a pill and a shot. Um, and HIV is um, no. a long-term chronic um, thing. And that's the thing you want to avoid, having to to deal with HIV. So I'm, hear so, I'm, I'm hearing you say ahead. all this, right? And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm thinking back to my days growing up in Utah. And the whole debate about learning about sex talking about sex I, I, I think we can all agree that a vast majority of people in utah and in a lot of other places think that that's the parents job okay fine so what you end up with in school is this abstinence only curriculum and it seems to carry at least from my experience a lot of stigma about even talking about a lot of this so what are your thoughts on utah and abstinence and like maybe not utah but um, like you know just conservative areas in abstinence and the fact that they insist on that being the primary method of sex education and in those conversations well so about so when i when i began the conversation about prep 
here in Utah three or four years ago. Um, I, it was, I was a lone voice. Um, no one knew what I was talking about. Um, there was no education. There was no support. There were, there were no um, providers. There were no doctors that, were, um, uh, that, that knew about Truvada and what the protocols are and how to provide them, except for Clinic 1A um, at the University of Utah, which is sort of the main place that people that are um, living with HIV um, are um, cared for. So I felt that it was very important to um, educate um, the community, particularly the, the MSM or men who have sex with men community here in Utah about PrEP. So I thought, um, what's the best way to do that? I could, you know, jump on a soapbox and do that myself, which I do all the time. But really, isn't this a, um, a health department issue? So I went to the county health department here in Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County, and uh, um, met with the, uh, the head of the Infectious Disease Prevention Department. We sat at a coffee shop. And I was glad that she would listen to me. And I talked to her about PrEP, and I talked to her about my idea of how um, if we um, make access to PrEP and educate people about what PrEP is and uh, uh, how that could um, decrease the rise in infections, how it could lead to more testing. Um, I believe that testing for, uh, if you're negative and you're testing for HIV because you want to go on PrEP, it's like going into the light. Um, you are being proactive about your sexual health and well-being and you want to remain negative and you're happy to get tested so that you can proceed down that path. Whereas in the past, it was always the dark closet that you were walking into to go for testing. Oh, am I HIV positive? Um, you know, it was just a scary thing. Um, and again, using, encouraging people to use PrEP gets them in for testing in a more... Um, in a brighter, less stigma-filled way. So she sat there and she talked to me, and at the end, she said, um, I really believe you have some great ideas, Michael. I think that that's, you know, sounds like a sound program. She said, but, you know, the, the people that run the health department here in the state of Utah are very conservative, and, you know, we have absences, the main you know, the, the home page for the um, HIV and STI prevention page. And I just don't know if I could make that or if I could convince them um, that it's something we can do. And I looked right at her and I said, well, you have a choice. You can continue to promote abstinence and see an increase in, in new infections and and remain the status quo, or, and I quote, you can do your fucking job as the director of the prevention of communicable diseases in Salt Lake County and prevent communicable, communicable diseases. <laughs> and with that, I grabbed my hat, my bag, and I said, it was really nice to talk to you. You let me know. And I walked out. And <laughs> wow. That's ballsy. <laughs> 
Well, sometimes you just need to, you know, you need to spell it out. You have to say, listen, you know, this is your job. And you're telling me you don't want to do your job, so I'm kind of done until you're ready to do your job. Do and, your fucking uh, job. Do your fucking <laughs> job. So, by the way, we're actually very good friends at this point uh, now, but that was the beginning of us meeting. And she called me back the next day, and she said, you know, I really have been thinking a lot about our meeting yesterday, number one. No one has ever really said that to me before. <laughs> and I get it, and you're right. Now I have to figure out um, how I can make that happen in this conservative state and I said okay well you know I'll do you know I will do anything I can to support and encourage and whatever and then I um, began immediately a, a change.org petition to start a prep um, information program in Salt Lake County and we garnered about 5,000 signatures in the course of a week and uh, that led to the launch of the prep information team at the, in Salt Lake County and uh, um, and a bunch of programming that I've been able to do not only with the county but with the state of Utah. Uh, so, because we're talking about the state of Utah, our next question is: is um, so they recently have came out saying that uh, um, that porn is now a public um, health safety issue. Is mm -hmm. do you do you want to say anything about that? Well, you know, I believe that, you know, that porn can be a terrible, you know, health and public safety issue. You know, like, you know, like you're, you know, like when you're watching porn you know, on, the, you know, on the Internet and you, you, know, and you have those reclining chairs and you're just really going at it and just pounding <laughs> you know, on your cock and just, oh, you're like, cool, you know, and then, and then. Then the fucking chair spring breaks and you fall backwards and you hit your head. <laughs> like if you weren't watching porn, like that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so don't watch porn. <laughs> so I have to I have to ask though because because this is all tying into this the conservative slash religious culture question, which is, do you feel that? I mean, I, I I'll tell you, I feel infuriated because it's like, look. If I want to go and do my kinky thing in my room, fuck off. Like, I feel like so many people, and I've said it on the show before, are so obsessed with what other people are doing in, in private spaces that it becomes detrimental to overall health. And I think there's, like, studies of, like, you know, when you provide contraception information and, and condoms and stuff to, like... Uh, regions and countries where that's not a thing that like a lot of unwanted births go down, poverty goes down kids that need to be adopted don't happen, you know, all this stuff so when you when you run up against the conservative culture, how do you how do you deal with that? Does it make you ragey? I mean, me personally, I have um, I've always sort of run into that shitstorm head on um, I am very vocal about who I am what I am what I believe is the right and what I believe are the right things and the wrong things. I mean, porn is very interesting here in Utah. So it's, you can't sell it over the, you know, you can't go to a store and buy a porn video or a magazine, although that industry is dying anyhow. So maybe we're on the, the forefront. Um, but in, in return, it, Utah as a porn consumer online is the biggest in the nation. 
um, because it's the only place to find porn. And the truth is that people, people like sex, people like to watch people having sex, people like to jerk off, um, and people like to watch porn. I mean, I don't really watch porn. Um, we had we had a play party and we had a couple of porn uh, stars that came, which actually come, we have porn stars on a fairly frequent basis because apparently a lot of porn stars live in Utah. And <laughs> the, uh, so then we went on a motorcycle ride with my buddy and the next day and a couple of friends and we're sitting at this diner and he said, he said, I can't believe you had like those big porn stars at the, Blackboots party last night. I don't know was really talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know they were porn stars. I don't watch porn. And my friend told me, that's because your life is pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, um, porn is great. You know, it's like, it's an, it's an opportunity for people that have minimal acting skills but big dicks to you know work <laughs> <laughs> so we are running low on time so we're just going to shoot through a couple of different topics that some of our listeners wanted to talk about um, the next one is um, transgender and BDSM and we have an email from anonymous and um, do you want me to do it Actually, I'll read it. So Anonymous says, hello from um, to the cast of For What It's Worth and its guest. For the guest, what type of protections are available to those who are transgender and who um, want oral sex? Where does someone get it? Um, I'm FTM, medically speaking, and I'm on testosterone. I've asked for, I've tried to ask for information on protection for my enlarged clitoris um, when it comes to oral. In other words, a blowjob where someone sucks on my enlarged clitoris sounds nice. Um, from what I've been told, there are no tiny condoms that will um, quite literally cover it. So I feel lost on what to do, who to talk to, and where to go and look. Ken, doesn't Barbie and, and Ken come with a little tiny <laughs> condom? <laughs> Any information um, from the guest and cast would be helpful. Although I went through multiple drafts of this email, and although I'm embarrassed, I hope that others can benefit from my question and the answers that's given. Thank you, Anonymous. So, um, I am... I know very little about specialty condoms. In fact, I know very little about condom condoms because I don't really use condoms in sex. Um, I have other I, I have other ways that I protect myself from HIV and I deal with the occasional STI um, without um, a whole lot of drama. But I understand that you have um, concerns, um, and I first wonder what your concerns are, what you're trying to protect yourself from, um, and I would maybe first suggest that you do a little bit more research on what that is, and, and are you looking to prevent 
um, STIs or you're looking to prevent HIV. Uh, if you're looking to prevent HIV, HIV is, is virtually untransmittable via oral sex. So, you know, get your, get your, your, your cock sucked and, and, you know, don't worry about that. Um, and suck cock and don't worry about that because that's not really the way you're going to get HIV. Um, if you're looking to prevent STIs, um, again, you can um, try, you know, there's a number, number of ways you can do that. You could limit your sexual partners. You could, um, I would imagine dental dams would probably work. I, I don't know. I've never really blown um, a, a trans boy, although I'd consider it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm usually, when I, when I have sex with trans men, I usually am the top um, and I just, I've had not really gone there. The other thing that I would recommend, I, I recently did a, uh, help a friend whose name is Pete Bailey, who wrote a book about gay trans men um, and their sexual experiences. Um, it's called uh, Trans Homo Gasp, and it's a dirty, touching, poignant book that I think um, you as a trans boy should definitely take the opportunity to read and I think everyone should um, I am uh, I was moved by the power in this book and I and I think that it's uh, there's a lot of information and there might be something that pertains to your own sexuality in that so Tugs do you want to go ahead and read the next email uh, from Nam yep okay Hello, I have a question that I've been stewing on for a while, and I'd really like some insight from someone with more experience in the BDSM and kink scenes. Um, I am FTM trans and identify as gay. I want to participate in more kinky gay BDSM stuff, but because I lack certain equipment, I'm not very confident I will be accepted into scenes. Do you have any advice for how I can go about enjoying and perhaps participating in the scenes when I'm not sure how interested everyone will be in playing with me? With full disclosure my of my anatomy... Oh, sorry. Would full disclosure of my anatomy be appropriate or required, or would I even be welcomed into exclusively gay scenes? So, before you answer that question, can you define for us what a scene is? Oh, so in the world of BDSM and kink play, um, we talk about scene. Scenes are uh, when we play with each other and do kinky things, as opposed to um, just having intercourse or or straight sex. So um, scenes can be anything from bondage to uh, DS or dominant submissive sort of dynamic scenes uh, that can involve everything from paddles and whips and restraints and all those, those things that we do to create um, a scene either with ourselves or amongst a group of people. So back to the question itself, it was um, how do they, um, how are they able to get involved in the scenes without the appropriate anatomy in order to do so? Yeah, how do you approach? So, um, so Black Boots, we do play parties, and we are a men's only play party, and that means you identify as male. You can be a cis male or you can be a trans male. You have to identify and present as a male, uh, and um, what you got going on below your belt, um, what, 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 what your genital arrangement is, is not really a part of your um, gender identity in my world. Um, there are men that will play with you as a FTM, 
Amen. There are some that won't. And just like any um, any other way to engage in play, I find the most the easiest way or the easiest thing to do is ask. Um, you can ask, say, "Hey, I'd like to do the thing." Um, when I first started Black Boots, um, uh, it was a play party, and there was uh, I had just finished playing with this boy, and we did a piss play scene. And I went into one of the social loungy areas, and I see this really hot boy, and you know, so I sort of snuggle up next to him. I'm like, hey, you know, hi, what's your name? And uh, told me his name, and he said, he said, I watched you piss all over that boy, and I, I'd really like you to do that to me too. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. So I grab him by the hand, and I'm. Um, walking him across the dungeon into the water sports area and he stops and uh, he looks at me and he says I have something to tell you and I'm like uh, okay he's like uh, I'm a trans man and I said okay and then tucked him the rest of the way into the <laughs> where the water sports area was and proceeded to have fun with him um, because he was a hot boy the interesting thing is that afterwards some men came up to me and said, I can't believe that you, um, actually, after I pissed on him, I threw him in the sling and I fucked him. And the men came up, were coming up to me saying, I can't believe you fucked that girl. And I'm like, what girl? Like, I didn't fuck a girl, I fucked a hot boy. Yeah, but he's not really a boy. Trust me. I don't fuck girls. I am 100% gay. I fucked a boy. And we are a men's only party. He is a boy. And there are no girls here. And um, slowly, the uh, temperature of our parties changed at that point, um, And the acceptance happened. Because, you know, they saw Big Daddy Leather, you know, fuck this trans boy in the sling. And it was... Kind of hot, and he said it was okay. And uh, now trans boys come to our party and they have fun, and they usually have fun because they ask. That's great advice. Um, definitely, you know, if you're into that, I mean, not into that. Wow, sorry, that came out wrong. <laughs> Whoa, no, no, that came out really wrong. No, I was just saying, like, definitely, like, just ask, like, it, whether it be that you're comfortable, like, it. A lot of, okay, most of us are uncomfortable in our own skin. Like, unless, I mean, there's some people that I'm sure, like, Michael, is there anything that you would change about yourself? Uh, oh, yeah. Like, physically? Um, sure. Sure. Well, I, why not? Like, but, I, but do I feel that it's necessary for me to, uh, no. Like, yeah. There are things that I, you know, I think that we all have things, you know, we, we all have a lens that we look at ourselves through that may not be the same lens as the rest of the world or the same lens as one group to the other, but, uh, well, but, but being comfortable in your own skin, I mean, I'd be, I'd be comfortable in your skin. Uh, you'd be comfortable <laughs> in my skin. Oh, oh my. Yeah. No, but you know, I have my low self confidence where it's like, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, man, you're fat as fuck. Like just, you know, you need to eat more salad. I and like stuff you, like you that. fat fuck. So stop it. Well, you know, but I'm making a point. And and tugs, there's many times that you've told to, told me and even said on this show 
that you're ugly. And I, you are not. I, I will tell you flatlies. Here, here's the truth, and I'm I'm gonna hate that my I know people are gonna listen to this and tell me I have never weighed as much as I weigh right now in my life to the point where I'm starting to deal with extra problems that come from that, and I have more or less just kind of shut down going out and playing because I feel so awful about how I look, and it's not from lack of trying; it's a side effect from medicine. Well, you know, I, but I I think it it's what we're talking about right now, yeah, and that's. Yeah, yeah. You know, all you have to do is, if you're interested in somebody or something, all that you need to do is ask. You know, when I, when I, we do an orienta- we do orientation at our play parties, and one of the things we talk about is, you know, not being a dick. So that means, um, you know, you maintain consent, you don't touch people or try to particularly um, do kinky hitting people kinds of things without using your words. Um, you know, a wink will do for a blowjob in the gay community. But uh, the flip side of that is um, that when people ask you or use their words, you know, don't be a dick. Say yes, say no, say maybe. Um, and if you are the asker, like I, I come from the place where you throw as much spaghetti against the wall as possible and some of it's going to stick. Um, if I ask a boy to play and he says no, it's like no hard feelings. And for myself, because I have sort of a position in the community and stuff, I go that sort of extra step by saying, you know, you don't have to say yes to me because you think I'm like, you know, Big Daddy Leather that, you know, if I don't say yes, I'm going to get ostracized. You know, it's like, you know, we all have our, our we all have the things that we're into with the people that we're into. And if I'm not one of them, that's great. Let's, you know, I just move on to the next, the next boy. So Tugs, do you want to ask your dying question? Yeah, I do. So I am a person who has never gone to a sex dungeon. It's not from like being uncomfortable with the idea or anything. I just, I've just never gotten around to it. So in my head, I want, I'll tell you what's in my head and then you can correct it. But I want to know what does a sex dungeon really look like? Cause in my head, it's kind of like the end of Pirates of the Caribbean with like torches on the wall and like cobblestone floors and maybe like a cobblestone textured wall and someone like on a wheel getting tied up and the shit beaten out of them. That's not what a sex dungeon looks like. Tugs, is that your scene that you want to set up? No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not into pain at all. I'm really not. Um, I like my blood and my pain staying, you know, at their current thresholds and locations. And so... I just what what does it really look like? Is it just like a normal house with like some cuffs hanging off a wall or something? And is there are there fire and tiki torches? So I've been around for quite a while and I've traveled all over the world and I you know always seek out the you know the dirty filthy places to do all the dirty filthy things. So I've seen sex dungeons and dungeon spaces and sex clubs all over the world. And the answer to that is. They look all different ways. Um, I have seen dungeons look very traditional to the what what you're talking about, um, where they sort of go out of the way to may have them look sort of very medieval. And uh, I don't know that I've ever seen like torch like fire torches on the wall, but I've seen those sort of you know lamps that have the glass globes that look like fire with the flickering bulbs kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've seen spaces that are very modern, clean, sleek. 
um, that are almost medical um, huh. uh, in in the way that they're decorated. There are small dungeons. You know, we we kinky people. We have our little play areas in our house sometimes, and we call them our dungeon. And sometimes it's just like that extra room that there's whatever, maybe a sling or a or a bench, or there might be some hard points on the wall, or maybe you have a cross, or and it's where we keep our our toys, and toys are the things that we play with. Um, another another definition, um, not just dildos, but you know all the things, whips and paddles and cuffs and uh, and all the things that we use to play. Huh. So so here's here's my unrelated follow up question, which is, I would now like your opinion on my casino, which my casino, you when you go in, there's going to be two black cauldrons um, over the door. And in neon, of course, all this is neon, there's going to be golden coins coming out and flowing down over the door. And it will be called golden showers. Mm-hmm. I think you should use real piss and not coins. <laughs> well, you know, it has, to, it has to be on the street, so it's not like you sound like a big dick. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think you should have the option. Like, there should be two lines. Like, this is the line for coins, this is the line for piss. And then you could make you know that informed choice. So, so why why are you into yellow snow? That's that's what Tug's put there. So I have to say it. So why do I like this play? Yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, so I didn't really get into piss play until a little bit later in my life, and let me tell you, I'd done so many other everything else, and it was just not really something I'd ever done beyond sort of like pissing on someone in the bathtub during a shower as a joke kind of thing. So I was playing with this boy on a fairly regular basis and he liked to get pissed on. And that I would do, like I would piss on someone occasionally. And so so this boy asked me if he could bring a friend um, over one night and we could all play together. And so his friend came over and this boy was fucking hot boy. So I had them both in the sh- like in the bathtub, and I'm standing up on the tub, and I'm like swinging from the shower curtain, you know, Rob, like pissing all over them, pissing <laughs> in their mouths, and you know, it's just a fucking good time. And uh, they were just happy as you know, ha- happy as a faggot in Boys Town, as they say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so after I, you know shake off and, and finish, the really hot boy stands up and said, um, sir, it's your turn. And I looked at him and I thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I let this boy piss on me for the first time, you know, and I'm a, I'm a very dominant, uh, my, my sexuality is on the D side of the slash, I'm a very dominant person and um, I don't really do the submissive thing. Um, so it was not really a degradation or a submissive thing, but more of a kink sensation play, like that sensation of like that warm piss on me. And I liked it. Um, it's like that song, was that, was that a Katy Perry song? No, I, 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 I pissed on a girl and I liked it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I pissed on a girl, a girl and, and I liked, liked it. it. Yeah, it was kind of like that. And uh, 
as, as they say, it kind of opened the the uh, the floodgates for me, so to speak, and I started to become very um, sort of versatile when it came to piss play. And again, not on the BDSM side, but on that kink side where it's a sensation play kind of thing. And then, of course, and of course, because I am a total DS, um, like that's how my sexuality is. It has evolved into um, part of the repertoire DS play for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like piss. You know, I'll. You know, the, the difference is. If I let you piss on me, it's because I want it, not because you're pissing down on me. It's like, yeah, sure. it makes me happy. So, so Tugs, mm. yeah, I love you. You know how TF is like my big kink. Yeah, what about it? And um, I know that um, Golden Showers is something that um, you're highly interested in. Yeah. Why are you interested in it? Um, it's, it's a, it's a really, that's not a simple answer. Uh, but the short of it is, uh, there's a certain amount of taboo associated with it. Like you're not supposed to do that. Um, there's something a little bit feral about it. Um, being marked by somebody is kind of an interesting form of friendly or endearing possession in a way, but without like really possessing them. Um, and it's warm. It, it, I mean, let's be honest. It, it's it's kind of like taking a shower, except that it doesn't feel quite like taking a shower. Like, like you know how you like you you're in you take your clothes off, and you get in the shower, and that water washes over, and you're like, mm, that feels good. It's kind of like that times two. So, any it's, other questions that you have about golden showers, tugs? No. Do they meet golden flowers? I don't know. So, so do you like just getting pissed on, or do you like um, the taste of piss, or do you like to drink piss? Uh, I've tried to taste it, and I didn't really like the taste. It was too bitter. So uh, that person did not prepare themselves for for you to drink them, right? And I mean, it's been off and on. Um, mm -hmm. See, here's the, here here's why I'm like a little bit hesitant to answer is because my brother listens to this show, and I know he's going <laughs> to listen to this. And I know he's not going to care. Um, Fun tugs. Just be open. Uh, well, I know. No, he's the one. Look, look, you're choosing to listen to this man. You can turn this off at any time. This is probably your time. That's just for him, though. Everyone else stay. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I haven't. It's, it's a lot of it has been lack of opportunity. Um, but also because it's the diaper scene, like there's that whole extra thing that takes care of it a lot. Yeah. Yes. Although a couple of, a couple of summers ago I had a boy over and I have a sort of a private patio space and we got one of those samplers of beer, like mm -hmm. those big cases where they're like, you know, 24 different beers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we spent the afternoon tasting the difference in um, all <laughs> the tasting party. Yeah, it was like a <laughs> we're having a flight. We're recycling, tasting. It was very classy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that was a good year, and it came out even better the second time. Uh, no, I don't uh, have anything to add other than I, I'm not opposed to it. I like for me, that's probably one of the greatest things. And and people make this interesting assumption. Well, so you're into scat? No, I'm not. No, that's a oh. hard line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I recommend the Hefeweizen, actually. <laughs> the beer here is <laughs> oh probably... You know what? Next, I should... If I ever drive down, I try to avoid driving to Salt Lake, but I should just bring beer, like, from up here. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to do a beer episode sometime. Oh, like, yeah, I, I have we do. no beer that I've ever tasted that I've ever liked. I have not been able to get into beer. I can Guinness. get into bitch beers Guinness. and all the sugary crap stuff, but there is no beer that I have ever tasted that I've ever liked at all. <laughs> Is that is that does that mean that it's time? It's time for last break. To keep going forward. You're listening to For What It's Worth, brought to you by For What It's Worth brand Sani wipes. When something makes you feel unclean, think For What It's Worth. Sometimes you don't have time to take a shower or in some other way bathe yourself properly. Sometimes you just want to clean yourself after an event that leaves you feeling dirty. Well, while we can't actually replace the shower, we can help you get cleaned up a bit to help you last long enough to get to the bathroom for a proper sanitizing. For what it's worth, brand Sani Wipes are just the thing you need for those long, sweaty sessions in the bedroom. Flipping or turning a mattress by yourself is tiring work. Why not rub yourself down real good with the fragrant, clean-smelling, cool kiss of a For What It's Worth brand Sani Wipe. Also good for cleaning up after what you do on the mattress. Don't jump on the bed, kids. That's for grown-ups. And if you're one of those special people blessed with never getting hot, sweaty, and sticky because you never do enough physical activity to get you there, then why not contribute to the Patreon campaign? There are several reward tiers available, and every cent helps make the show better. Why, just recently, Ruin Tugs were able to spend the money to upgrade to 4K high-definition multi-spectral audio quality. Now the show looks even better than ever. You can actually count how many of the hairs on Rue's tail bristle when Tugs gets him flustered. For what it's worth, brand Sani Wipes. The burning means it's working. And welcome back! You know, apparently I made someone champagne spit doing that. Really? Yeah, it was interesting. Well, it's the time. It's the time that you all wait for. It's this time. This episode of For What It's Worth is apparently worth money to some people. And this is the time when we thank those people for their support. So, we will start at the bottom of the list. So, we have... Epic Rive. We have Simone, Booga, Snares, and as always, I plug Meteor Showers. If you like hunks doing hot things for free, go look. We have Skylos, Hot Sauce, Guardian Lion, Sig the Furry, Loki Mutt, Rifka, Ichi, Kit, Cody? Still? I'm happy about this. And then, of course, we have the wonderful, comes in a crate size, the best, also comes in supreme, the Doritos Locos Taco from Taco Bell. That's right, Dokos is still sitting pretty at the top of the list. So, if you would like to join these guys in supporting us, because we very much appreciate it, we really do, go to patreon.com fwiw and you can give us your money and hear us say thank you for your support. Yay, give us money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just kidding.
Yep. Um, so. Final Mr. thoughts? What's that? Final thoughts? Yes. Final thoughts. Um, first of all, is there any questions that um, you wish that we asked or talked about today? Or any subjects or hmm. anything in particular that you would like to share? I don't. Do you have anything no. you'd like to promote? Um, anything you have what, going what, on in your life? What's on the table? Oh, oh. So promote, yeah. You know, I'm I'm like a shameless self promoter. Um, so I run a monthly uh, men's play party uh, for Black Boots, which is at our clubhouse here in Salt Lake City. Uh, there's actually one tonight. Uh, it is. Uh, it will be long past because I believe this is pre-recorded. It is. But it's every fourth Saturday of the month, um, and then uh, we also do uh, on this uh, first. I'm sorry, the third, the third Monday of each month, we do our Blackboard classes. Uh, we also, on the third Wednesday of each month, we do our MAST meetings, which is our Salt Lake City chapter for Masters and Slaves together. Um, that's here in Salt Lake City. Uh, Utah Leather Pride is, is uh, Sunday, May 20th. And uh, yeah, all the things. Who's Mr. Smiley? Mr. Friendly. I'm Mr. Friendly. Sorry. Oh, so Mr. Friendly is an anti-HIV stigma uh, program or anti-HIV stigma uh, program. And uh, I discovered it at Folsom Street Fair many, many years ago. And I thought, what a great thing. Everyone's talking about HIV and everyone is having this conversation, but it's friendly and happy and and it seems fun and HIV is not really fun so I thought what a great program and it turns out that uh, a leather title holder um, uh, Dave Watts um, started this with his uh, title holder campaign back in I don't know, I think it's 2010 or 2011 and uh, I knew that I had to bring this to Utah so I started a uh, Mr. Friendly Team Utah here and we've been going for quite a few years and we've done a lot of outreach and stuff in schools and bars and all kinds of places we'll pop up it just about everywhere um, any final thoughts about the topic that we've talked about today anything in particular that you want to leave the audience with Yes, so if you are a hot, young furry that's really kinky and down to play with a dirty daddy, <laughs> hit me up. If, if they want to contact you, how would they go about doing that? Well, you first you can go to any bus terminal throughout the nation and find my phone number on the wall. <laughs> And in the bathrooms, right? In the bathroom, yeah. And then if uh, if that's not working out for you, you can email me at info at blackbootsslc.org. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for, for coming in today. We really, really appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having me. And now it's so, time for this. Oh, I was like, what's you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. That's right. It's housekeeping. So we want to thank our supporting cast. 
Fire Breath for our wonderful line work, and Vost for touching himself in the sound booth and keeping Rue in line. We want to. Ah, we also wanted to thank you and comment for commenting on our site. It definitely helps us out, and I cannot do this while music is playing in my ears. It is so hard. I can't do this. Tux. We don't care about your penis right now. Ah, come on, please, just rub it a little. Comment just, on just the a site. Little. Yeah, so comment on the site. It makes it look like people go there. Um, follow us on social media. We have Twitter, Facebook. Um, we don't have Instagram, we have but Plus. we have Telegram. We, so please feel free to shoot us a message if you would like to join our Telegram group. Yep. If you like this episode, tell a friend. More people listening to the show is always a good thing. Here's the thing. We don't sell ads to, to other places saying, listen to for what it's worth. And we don't accept ads. So all the growth we get is from you telling somebody. So tell somebody about us, please. So what is the next episode, Tugs? The next episode is Chinese furries. We have found out that there are furries in China. There are three of them. And we want to figure out what's going on in their world. So it will be a little bit of, let's talk about how Chinese culture is different from Western culture. And then the intersection of furry Chinese culture and Western culture. All right. Well, if that's it, then this has been Rue. This is Tugs. This is Voss. And I'm your friendly neighborhood leather slut. And this has been For, For What, what it's, it's Worth. worth. Did he do it? No. no. Say it. <laughs> For what it's worth. The only oh. thing I'll give you a command. <laughs> oh. For what it's worth. I like you, Gino. No! <laughs> <laughs>